Welcome to Revival in Jesus' Way. Revival can happen now when you follow the way of the Master in all aspects, making disciples in His way, reasoning for truth in His way, and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit as He did. We encourage you to dream big for God's kingdom. I'm your host, Tim Cahill. And I am Yian Xu. Today we will talk about heaven. Heaven is for real. How can we get up and shine with real hope every day? We will talk about three facts about our future resurrection. Now, people naturally are inclined to believe in the heaven. Um, this because it's natural for people just to want things to end well, turn out well in the end, and also uh, in the life and also afterlife. Uh, here's the data, roughly. Uh, 72, so it's like 7 in 10 Americans say they believe in the heaven, defined as the place where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded, according to the Pew Research Center. Mm, yeah, and I think that that statistic is actually reflected across um, different cultures as well, from what we've seen. You know, whether it's China or different countries, actually heaven is a pretty common place in people's normal language. You know, when they talk about life, you know, they talk about, you know, what will happen when you die, or they talk about like relatives that have passed on about how they're still living in some way and they hope that they'll be in a good place. Because in essence, that death is something nobody wants to face. Death is one of the most um, heartbreaking experience people have to deal with. Uh, in a Korean drama called The Light in Your Eyes, uh, a leading role there, an old grandma uh, suffering memory loss could still recall her deceased husband who died in a young age and, and, and signed in a really hopeless way. She said, uh, one thing I learned about life, uh, a loved one can have body warmth and be near to you in one minute, and then the next minute just disappear from your life forever. So can those loved ones only exist in their family's memory, but actually they disappear forever? Or, or where do they go? Uh, how would their life uh, turn out? Uh, will, will their life still continue? You know? Um, that's actually one of the things many um, movies and dramas um, try to explore, mm -hmm. um, no matter what uh, religious background you have, they have, I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a big topic in science fiction and things like that about what happens to the person after they pass away, you know, can that human, you know, be revived later on, you know, after they died and do they go, do people go somewhere after you go? So it's something people are very concerned about. And oftentimes my, uh, actually my grandma's told me, my, my own grandma told me several times after my uh, grandpa passed away that she believed that someone disappeared after he dies. So she told herself to not think about my grandpa at all. And she does not allow ourselves, uh, uh, does not allow us to, um, talk talk about my grandpa, and she says she wants to focus on her current life, um, to make her current life to be happy. 
Um, so she is actually belong to the very rare group that um, she's a very firm atheist. Uh, but to my observation, actually, especially in maybe in America, uh, very few people really hold that view, and they even act out, uh, express on their this atheist belief. Um, when when we really see their attitude, uh, actually, uh, usually when the atheist recalls his deceased, say like parents, um, they're really faithful to their conviction. The other atheist is supposed to say like, I know you have just been emotional, right? But there is really no meaning to talk about your parents because they disappear forever. Focus on the present. Mm. You know, shouldn't atheists act in this way or comfort each other in this way? Like no matter good or bad, um, it's just all disappear. Yeah, that's right. And but then there's something very interesting that, um, you know, this tends to almost never be the case. This is almost never the way that people talk, you know, whether it's an atheist country like China or it's a country that is um, quote unquote secularized, like like um, like Britain or like the U.S. You know, you, you always hear people when they talk about life after death, you know, there's that 70 something percentile. It You know, people just believe that there's something good that people um, that there ought to be this place where people are, you know, this place where relatives have gone on to be, you know, there's this feeling that that's right. You know, like it's it's only right if if really there's something beyond this word of death isn't the final word. You know, that this idea that death is the final word is pretty unacceptable. Now, today's episode, we wouldn't want to discuss which view is right, because that's not today's topic. Um, again, um, the amount of people believing which view actually cannot prove or disprove um, that view. You know, I'm just saying that uh, this is a really hot topic that everybody think about. Uh, life and death, heaven and hell, actually, it's just in people's mind, eternal, eternity, you know. So today we mainly want to focus on what the Bible really talks about, God's future kingdom. What Bible really talks about either we say the heaven or uh, paradise, um, what's that, the, uh, yeah, heaven, paradise, or your future resurrection. What is the, what are the facts? Mm. That's the thing we want to know. Yeah, and I think in, in line with this foundation series, this is really important because one thing that Anne and I had talked about in preparation for this episode that we had talked about, Anne, is that um, the topic of heaven is often misunderstood by Christians. Um, it's it's often kind of taken to just kind of be like, just, you know, you either go to heaven or hell, you know, you um, and after you die, and that's pretty much it. That's kind of the end of the story. You know, you you hope that you go to heaven. You know, heaven's a place that's good. It's kind of a place for your dreams. With music and people floating there. Yeah. Um, but Tim, do you really believe in heaven? Do you really look to heaven? Yeah. So um, I think that first um, we need to kind of uh, flesh out, I think, what scripture really says about heaven. Um, so the, the verse that really talks about the sort of heaven that we typically think of um, is Philipp in Philippians 1, um, verses 22 to 24. And Paul is talking here, and he's talking with the Philippians about well, he's in prison. He doesn't, he's saying he, he doesn't know if he's going to die or if he's going to live on and get to continue to minister to them and disciple the people in the church there. And then he says, starting in verse 22, 
If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Um, so th this is really the only verse that really talks about the sort of heaven we typically think of. You know, there isn't a lot of this talk about this place that exists right now, you know, where kind of where God is, where Jesus has gone to when he ascended, you know, this place of um, just kind of like an immediate place where we might so, go when we die. Exact, actually, where is Paul now? Mm, yeah, so that's um, that's a good question. I think, and this verse is very key to thinking through that. So normally um, when you when you look at um, these kind of summaries of, of scriptures um, that when scholars or theologians are looking into the topic of heaven, um, there's a intermediate state. It's called a intermediate state. So intermediate means in between. Like in between, like yeah. transition. Yeah, like a transitioning or yeah, just an in-between like kind of room. state. Yeah, it, yeah, a waiting room is probably kind of a decent picture of what it's like. Now, what we see from what Paul is saying is he's saying, you know, as a believer, he says he desires to depart and be with Christ. So that's a very interesting thing is that in this intermediate state for believers, there is going to be a closerness, you know, to Jesus that happens immediately when a believer dies. Um, but so this, you know, quote unquote, waiting room is going to be close to Christ, but it's not actually the ultimate thing or the ultimate hope that the Bible presents. So whenever I think about the ultimate hope, while this is part of the picture, what well, I think that as believers, we're meant to look forward to, okay, really, it, when we pass away, there will be a closerness to Christ. There's something very good about that. But actually, it's continually, and the scripture continually tries to push us forward to um, the final days. So you try to say the waiting period is not that ultimate hope. Yeah, it's not something he hoped for at that time. Yeah, and it, it also, um, just by looking at this verse again, we don't really have too many verses that talk about this kind of idea that we typically have because I think it comes from a lot of other thinking, maybe like old, um, uh, more Greek thinking and, and things like that, that we have this picture of, oh, well, I'm going to go and be with uh, my loved ones and family. I mean, there's Maybe some of that you can kind of get from this idea, but the main idea is this is an in-between. Kind of this isn't mm -hmm. yet the full thing God wants for us right after we die. So Actually, there's more. Yeah. So what are the major three uh, facts, three biblical facts of the future resurrection? Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned um, resurrection. So this is that um, the resurrection is really um, what we're called to look forward to. Um, in scripture, we're called to look forward to like Jesus is called the first fruits of that resurrection, you know, of the, this future coming back of of being coming back as in a body. You know, so I, I think um, three major points that about that resurrection, rather than kind of this typical kind of go to heaven when you die view uh, for Christians is one, it's um we will um, come back to earth in a resurrected body. So, so that's the number one reason for our big hope. Yeah, so I think um, yeah, one, one major um, big hope is, and, and one way it's different, I think, is that there's going to be this resurrected body, this glorious body that we're going to be in. Actually, it's um, the, the, 
and it's going to be this kind of glorious body. A second would be um, that God will come to the earth and will restore it. Actually, God is going to bring restoration to all the things um, we've experienced. And then number three would be we have a particular role in that, in ruling and restoring the creation. So we're not just kind of sitting around with harps, you know, in in this um, heaven, you know, with a bunch of clouds and those things. Actually, the picture Scripture gives is that we will be taking part in what God is doing in restoring the new creation. Uh, but why those three uh, facts offer people um, big motivation or hope? Yeah, so I think that um, just in general, before we get into the scriptures, they, they give us a big hope because it's actually something that one thing that I struggled with, actually, when I was young, coming into like kind of a Christian family, you know, ra- being raised in a you know, quote unquote, Christian home and kind of getting a lot of these um, general kind of society kind of ideas about what the Christian hope is, is I always wondered about like, what, well, what's the point of working hard in this world? What's the point of really developing as a person, both ethically or like in your job and your career and those things? Like, what's the point? And I think that one reason this is a big hope is because it's it really points, it really connects what we do in this world to what God's ultimate plans are for this world. You know, it's not like you just kind of go on and you go into this heavenly place that has nothing, everything you did before kind of is kind of, okay, it's done. It's it's kind of meaningless, but now mm-hmm. you're kind of there with God and that's it. You're just, you're there and you'll sing and those things, you know, like there's something nice about that. And I think that is true. We see like in Revelation and things like that, you know, the, the singing and things, but the full picture is kind of like this activeness, you know, this this really doing something worth doing with God, you know, being involved with the work of God, you know, being what your work on this world, like caring about the things that you cared about here, you know, morality and, and living good and like a community, all those things apply actually in God's heavenly kingdom when in the new heaven and new earth. Those things are not just kind of lost. Those things actually will be completely fulfilled as they ought to be in the heavenly kingdom. So it's like you try to see each person's life actually in uh, in eternity. It's like a whole continual um, uh, picture, continual line. Mm. So just like our life, say our life on the earth for 80 years, um, what you say, uh, what you did in school would affect maybe what kind of a job you do in the future and how you do your job uh, in the first five years um, continue, it will affect your later um, mid-age career life. Mm. Um, Then uh, all the things, how you live your life in your 80 years on the earth will affect how you live your life in eternity. It's just such a continual picture of... um, yeah, of right. yeah, it's it's this continual picture of everything God is training you for here. And it's also I think this brings in the problem of evil and also the what's called the problem of evil or like uh, why is there so much suffering in this world? Like people will say I think it really brings it more into light when we think about God's kingdom in the way that scripture talks about it instead of kind of this heaven, you know, it kind of like the the old the the kind of society kind of idea of heaven i think it's kind of like um oh you suffer so much in this world but kind of like god will give you a treat when you leave this world 
you know, like, oh, but, you know, God will give you like some nice, you know, thing, a nice present when you leave. And then you'll be like, well, I suffered a lot, but at least I have this present, you know. Um, But I think the real view of of the kingdom, which is coming, you know, the, the kingdom that God is going to restore this world into when he comes to this world, when he resurrects us in these new bodies and we're living, ruling, doing work on this world, but in a way that is uh, more perfect, in a way that is more in line with God's view of how things should be. This actually gives a lot of purpose behind mm-hmm. the suffering that we go through, the the training that we go through in God's training plan and things like that. You can clearly see that we're being trained into something. You know, th- this this ultimate thing that we will be in the heavenly kingdom is very much worth the training plan that we're going through. With all the suffering and difficulty and all those things, it's Paul says it's worth it's it's worthwhile. It's not worth even comparing with the glory that will be there one day. And he doesn't just mean like, oh, because of this treat, but the scripture continually points to kind of this is a training plan to get us there. Mm-hmm. So let's dive into the first fact. We will come back to the earth in a resurrected new body. Yeah, so there's a lot of verses that go over this. And again, like this, one of the things that's almost like frustrating and crazy about the fact that this kind of idea of heaven and, you know, being up on a cloud and those kind of like thought pictures have found their way into the culture and are called Christian and are actually accepted by many people is actually there's a lot of verses. um, There's a a lot of scripture that talks about uh, what, God's kingdom is going to be like. So, for example, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 through 18, Paul writes, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of, of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are alive and those who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And then we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. So this verse points out that those who have died will one day rise again, that there's a day set whenever Mm -hmm. those who have died are going to come back to this world and are going to meet the Lord in the air, it says, and before he comes down onto the earth and when, before he returns and begins to establish the kingdom. So in First Thessalonians, Paul is actually using this verse to restore the hope of the Thessalonians who are losing people due to persecution and them being killed, basically, by officials, Jewish officials and Roman officials. He's saying, hey, Maintain your hope because one day those people who are dead right now are going to rise back up. He doesn't encourage them and say, hey, they're with the Lord now, even though we clearly see from Philippians that that's Paul believes that's part of it. But the hope he tries to point them to is these people are going to rise again. And then we're always going to be in these new bodies. We're always going to be with the Lord. So those who are in the waiting room with the Lord, that they will come back and have the new body. Yeah, exactly. That they're that they are not going to remain in that state forever, but they're going to come back in a body, and then that is where the hope is. You know, like the hope is there that 
this this new world is going to begin to be established there. And and again, he highlights we'll be with the Lord always. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always going to be together with him, and we're going to physically be together with him. And there's something that is so much more precious about that. Um, now, what is this new body like? Because uh, are, are there some features that we uh, look forward to, like some superpower, like why we want that body? Mm, yeah, so I think um, there's a couple of different examples that we can kind of think about, about what the new body is like. Um, before I get into some of these verses here, one thing that people will usually point to is the only person we really know who came in this new body is when Jesus rose back from the dead. And we see some really interesting things about Jesus. Like he is able to like to like supernaturally pass through walls sometimes. Like he's able to suddenly be in one place and then come and be in another place. You know, he's that there's this and there's this kind of ability to move around as he wishes, as he thinks in his mind in a way. So that there's this interesting kind of dynamic there. He eats food like a so regular we person. we will one day be able to do that and we can still eat. Yeah, you can still <laughs> eat. It's it's like this, it's like this body, but then it's beyond this body. Now, um, some verses that really kind of try to talk about what this body will be like are for, in 1 Corinthians, Paul gives a kind of long um, definition of what this um, body will be like. Well, chapter 15 is, and then we just pick up some yeah. verses. Um, chapter 15 is known by some people as the resurrection chapter. Actually, right. it's really good chapter to study about because Paul first gives a defense of the resurrection, like evidence about how we can know the re- resurrection is true to the Corinthians. And then he talks a little bit more about what this body will be like. Yeah, so first the Corinthian uh, 15. 35 to 44. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of a body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not a body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gave his gave gave it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory for of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Mm. Yeah, so and this so Paul really kind of gets into he starts out by saying, Well, we know there are all these different kinds of bodies. He's 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 making the defense that hey, 
when we rise again, it's not going to just be like this body. It's not just going to be a body that's going to basically live the same kind of life we just lived and then pass away and all those things. But he's saying that this this body that we have now is going to be replaced by an imperishable sort of body. It's, there's all these different kinds of bodies and what the resurrection body will be like is going to be different. And then he gives some characteristics. It's um, going to be imperishable in some way. So like what what we had before was a body that would die and pass away. But now that sin and death have been defeated, we're going to have a body that's going to be imperishable, that's going to be able to live with Christ forever. Um, what was sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. Again, we have kind of the dishonor of sin, the dishonor of our own wickedness in this world. And usually glory is associated with this kind of righteousness. And it's kind of cool that Paul talks about these different kinds of glory. You know, he's like, the sun has glory, you know, in its in its grandness. The There's another glory for stars. And he talks about, you know, the moon, like these big bodies in space. They have this kind of glory about them. When we look at them, we can see them in awe and things like that. Um, he's saying there's going to be a kind of awe associated with this new body we're going to get with some of the features of this new body. And I think it has a lot to do with our ability to not live in sin. It has a bit with our ability to not have this kind of, um, this, uh, the, this thing that was passed down from Adam in our current body that, that gives us a tendency towards sin. Um, so in this new it body, will not have pain. Yeah. It, won't it will not have those disease. Mm. Think about all the things associated with sin, mm. even though it, even that, like all the things, all the features we talk about, uh, are not in a like exhaust exhausted list. Mm. There are more than that, and then uh, Bible even didn't list out all of those. It doesn't. Yeah, oftentimes it just gives us enough of a picture to to fill our hope, like, like to a glimpse. Yeah, a glimpse. A peak. That's what, and that's yeah. what Paul says. He says, "What's a shadow now? We'll see the real thing later." You know, so this gives us a peek, you know, like, like you mentioned, and Revelation, it talks about how there'll be no more weeping, um, you know, no more pain. You know, there's this glory, this goodness, this immortality, this power, it even mentions, um, that is in this new body. It's going to be a, it's going to be a real, you know, physical body, but it's going to have this characteristic of kind of this body that can be with God. Think about in your mind. All the things you have complained about, um, all your, uh, say, uh, this, this faction, uh, dissatisfaction, hmm. uh, re- most of them I can say related to sin, either you're aware or not. For hmm. example, even the, the difficulty in someone's dating relationship or something, oftentimes it has something to do with selfishness or the, capability to 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 forgive the capability to love you know mm. all those things and and also maybe all the generational problems you have and all of those will not exist mm. yeah that's right and because it's going to be this new kind of people this mm-hmm. new race in a way of all of us will be these new people, you know, mm-hmm. that it's in a new world with a new kind of people. Mm-hmm. You know, the community is different. Everything is changed because people, you know, the, the main factor, the, you know, the people who have sinned, we have been transformed um, by God. Mm-hmm. And now in, in this body, but also through 
are being changed through walking with Christ. Or for example, like uh, a very common thing, like people uh, people fight for uh, losing weight. Mm. And then when you, when you have the new body, you wouldn't want to just not exercise. You, you, you would love discipline. Mm. You would love the healthy lifestyle. And um, you, I wouldn't say like, even if you eat a lot, you wouldn't gain weight, but it's like, uh, you wouldn't want to overeat. You want to enjoy every bit of the real life, real um, energy, mm. real goodness God gave to you in your body. Mm, you right. wouldn't want to um, overly do something. Yeah, and I mean, listen to the what Paul talks about this new body in Philippians 3, um, down in verse 21. He said, He will transform our lowly body into His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. So there, there's this picture of it's a like right now compared to what we will be is kind of this lowly body, but then there, there's this gloriousness that we're going into physically that our physical bodies are going to be changed like you said all those things that we associate with this body with sin with death with decay are all going to be gone in that day in the kingdom that'll be great yeah it will be great so fact two the number two fact is mm. god will come to earth and restore it that's right and rule over it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is um, in Revelation 21, um, and I'll read from verses 1 to 7 first. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and he will be with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Um. Yeah, so... And that's really down to verse five. But I think you get the picture, you know, this heavenly kingdom coming down um, out of heaven from God and then God making his dwelling place with man. And then God says, behold, I am making all things new. You know, God is coming down and he is changing things. He says there's going to be no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain anymore. The former things have passed away because I'm here now. You know, I am going to live on this earth and establish this rule. You know, I am going to live on this earth as its ruler in the, the center of this world. And my heavenly kingdom, my heavenly city is not just going to be this separate heaven anymore. You know, this is the real biblical picture of heaven is that heaven actually comes down onto the earth. And then the earth is this new heaven and new earth, this new place where heaven and earth kind of have joined together and God is making the earth, restoring the earth into a new thing, into this wonderful new thing that's going to be a kingdom that reflects his, his character, a kingdom that reflects how he sees that the world should be. All the things that our hearts long for, mm -hmm. he is mm -hmm. going to restore that into the world. And verse 6 says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha 
and the omega, the beginning and the end. So, mm. so that's the point. Like when just one individual die and they go to the heaven or the paradise and be with the Lord, that's not the end. Mm. Only them. Uh, behold, I'm making all things new, new heaven mm. and new earth, new people, right? Uh, new animals and new everything. Uh, everything is set right and he come to rule over it. That's the end. Mm, that's right. And, and that, also the new beginning. And again, this, I think, is so much more of a deep hope than the typical way we think of heaven is it's not just kind of this big this gift God is going to give people for believing in Jesus or this gift God is going to give people for having repented and turned away from their sins. It is instead this wonderful new world where all of the suffering, all of those things are going to be turned around on their head. You know, as you said, like the earth, you think about the different aspects of the earth, you know, the plant life, you think about, you know, the human communities, you think about the animals, like you said, and like all those things, God is going to touch and move in this world to make things as they ought to have been. Mm -hmm. And so we, we see that God's big plan is actually a restoral of the earth itself and also a restoral of the kingdoms. Like the, that's kind of the cool thing that it draws together, this picture in Revelation. And really this picture throughout scripture is it's, you have a picture of the kingdoms of, of different countries and things like that. And that kind of rule, human rule being restored. But you also have this picture of the whole earth, of animals, of of trees, of, of all this stuff, like the whole nature being restored. You know, Romans 8 talks about how, and we're going to read from that a little bit later, but how all things are groaning for God to, you know, things are, are groaning for this day. For this time to come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but to be honest, uh, when I go to the waiting period, I have uh, several things to be happy about. Mm. Uh, that's right, to be with the Lord and to be with the family mm. and also uh, other people. Um, but what we talk about is... Um, uh, the Bible talks about uh, that's not the end. That's the transition. Mm. So instead, actually, what we really, really yearn for is, God, when can we rule with you just like before? When can your glory and the human's glory be restored? The, mm. Your creation's uh, glory to be restored. When can we be completely, uh, you know, away from sin? I mean, the whole humanity. Uh, when can we receive this glorious body? Mm. You know, that's like uh, something you look to. So mm. even when you are in the paradise, actually, you uh, look forward to mm. that day. That's right. Yeah. And let me read from Revelation 21, um, 22 to 27, too. It said, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By his light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does detestable, anything that is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So again, this picture of God coming, ruling it actually another element we see here that's kind of cool that we also don't think about very often is there's still going to be nations on the earth when god is ruling mm. and they're going to be bringing honor to god like there's still there's going to be this whole world of communities 
but then a world of communities where that God is present in, that we can be with God in directly in a very direct way, and where God's glory is going to reestablish justice and goodness. You know, it says, is that important? The existence of、uh, still we have those nations. Yeah, I think what's important there is again, like we, it draws the line that what will be in the coming kingdom will have a lot of the elements of what this life already kind of has. Like, and the fact that there are other nations means that God is going to still entrust people with ruling over different places. There's going to be a place for a lot of different kind of work. You know, all the different things and jobs that go into your normal day to day, those will still exist in the kingdom. You know, there's still a need. For you know, restoring and bringing things about, I think that we're really going to have a part in bringing the restoral of God into the world、um, once God finally re- returns and comes back into the world and establishes us with new bodies. So then we still need a passport, so to speak. I don't think we would need a passport actually, <laughs> because all people. The reason you need a passport before is so they can kind of limit. You know who who's going where and kind of、um, judge who can go where. But again, it says nothing. There's nothing detestable or false in this new kingdom. You know, it's only those people whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life. So God has actually done the work to take care of sin. There's been the judgment has already happened at this point, and God is、um, now restoring all things. And people people are basically trustworthy. No matter where they're from. Okay, yeah,、uh, that's just my guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so factor three is we will have a particular role in ruling with God、mm. and restoring this、uh, creation, this new creation. Yeah, and this idea really gives me a lot of hope, and I think it's it's so cool when you realize this. I missed this in Romans eight for a long time, actually, and and recently in a class in Biola. Um, for the apologetics program,、um, this kind of came out in one of the classes,、um, and I wrote about it. And it's just such a cool idea. So let me read Romans eight eighteen through twenty five. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. For we have the first fruits of the spirit. For we who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. Now,、um, what the thing that I think is cool is it. Look at what it says. The hope is so in verse nineteen. It says the re- it says that the creation waits with eager longing for what the revealing of the sons of God. You know that's us. You know we are the you know the sons are the children of God that the whole creation is eagerly yearning for, and we see this. Term, you know, I think another time in here too, where it talks about、um, this this waiting、um, that for the glory, yeah, in verse twenty one, the freedom that it, it was subjected to bondage and to corruption to obtain the the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
you know, that, that there's this freedom when the real children of God are revealed, whenever we really become that thing that we were created to be as human beings, that that is going to be the key to the whole world being set right. That God is not just going to kind of come to the earth and just, you know, kind of in a flash restore it, but also that this this changing of us into what we've always meant to be, this really fulfilling kind of the righteousness and the goodness that we were meant to live out, this this children of Godness that was meant to be part of who we are, the central part of who we are. And then these new bodies, you know, it talks about the redemption of our bodies being new, having these these new bodies that are able to live without sin, they're able to be immortal. Um, this picture, like we're right at the center of this picture. You know, it's not a picture that of God just doing something and taking care of our sin and restoring our the the thing we messed up on in a way. But He's also going to include us with the work of restoring the world. It's really this very cool thing to look forward to that we're going to get to be part of that work. So you feel very happy that you can fix the world with God. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that the idea <laughs> of fixing or restoring and bringing things that are not right into what is right, I think it's it's really at the center of of what it means to be human. I yeah, think we and desire the most noble work. Yeah, we actually. desire for things to be restored. You know, every government system that has ever existed has had that at the heart of it, you know, to restore a, what's wrong. A good government. Yeah. Yeah, suppo- what, what they're supposed to do. Yeah. What they, yeah, uh, the this reminds me of a uh, gospel illustration, a salvation uh, illustration from the ministry we just uh, um, uh, we, we just up to recently uh, learned from, I mean, uh, the last Reformation. When um, actually, when Tobin talks about the uh, salvation illustration, he said it's just like playing cards. He said, uh, like when we play cards, we need rules, right? So, like um, uh, two sides, like one, uh, you can uh, throw one, uh, uh, one side throw one card out, and then you need to wait until the other person's to move, and then you can move. So this is just like what you said. Um, the whole salvation plan it has stages it has different moves mm. so it's like uh, first jesus died for us and then we are the person make decision to accept god's salvation and then we are to grow in him and then we make disciples make disciple actually means like um, we help others to to grow in the sanctification into christ likeness and then when the humanity problem solved, and then like what you said, the whole um, creation will be renewed. So it's mm. like uh, you take this move, and then God can take this move. We take this move, and then God take this move. You know, so it's very much. Um, I know uh, that ministry they use this illustration. They mainly try to say like, "Hey, you are the person who is supposed to share the gospel." Mm. Uh, it's not like Jesus come to save you and then Jesus himself will go to share the gospel. It's God move and you move. God move and you move. So. Yeah, yeah. So and th- there's this real yeah. There's I think in the real picture of the glory, you know, the future glory of, of what God is doing. There's such a picture of the purposefulness of being a person, you know, there's such yeah. a, of our role being with God, of being his children, you know, we're, we're active members in the household. Yeah. Instead of, in, instead of like some uh, people, they pray like, God, we just pray your kingdom come. We pray that you do all the part. 
Mm. But actually, we a lot of lot of the part belong to us. If we don't do, it wouldn't be restored. Yeah, and yeah, and so that's yeah, definitely the our praying for the kingdom of heaven to come is really a challenge to ourselves as well to be praying and and asking God how we can more and more take a part in that, and even not just asking, but also looking in scripture and seeing what is the makeup of a disciple supposed to be and then taking those actions. Yeah, so it's like every time we pray the Lord's Prayer is to remind ourselves our mission. Mm. Um, so here's the question. So does this concept really motivate you in your daily work on earth? Say like uh, your job is cybersecurity. Like what has that something to do with the future kingdom? Yeah, and I think it definitely does. Is you, it, it's a motivation to work because again, like that central principle in every job is you're working to make something that is more chaotic, something that is um, not quite right. You're working to make it better and better. You're working to improve it more and more. So like, yeah, like in my area, it has to do with computers, sometimes cybersecurity and things like that. Um, it's, it's similar, you know, there's a, a logical element that goes into it, you know, and there's also the fact that in the coming kingdom, I don't think God is really going to just do away with all kind of technology in a way that there will be some use for the things that, you know, God is a creator and he made us to also create. And so like creating and making things that, that really will actually work to, um, make this world better to make this world um, to to improve each other's lives and things like that, but in a way that really meets the goal. Instead of kind of like a lot of the those side steps that we can take um, in in our lives now, like that that real goal will be met. Like the, this this getting to really be involved in creative work um, in the kingdom. It, it motivates me now because i see that the work that i'm doing now and thinking through complex problems and in handling leadership roles and and, and putting together things and, and creating um these different different technology or whatever i'm happening to do for that day or fixing things um it's something that in the future that kind of critical thinking is going to be used by god that god in his kingdom will use critical thinking that god his kingdom will give us things that involve that kind of work to to improve and to um, be be thorough and to think about things, but in a way that is so much more glorious and doesn't have kind of those elements we see, you know, in Adam and Eve um, after they sin with the thorns, you know, it says there would be thorns in, in your work and, you know, about getting tired and those things like it's that, that those elements that sin brought into the world won't be present, but will still have those skills and everything will still be valuable and will still add to um, the, the kingdom. So to dig it deeper, um, in the future, uh, New Heaven and New Earth, there wouldn't be hackers try to uh, hack into your system that the things you're creating now, hmm. just for example, uh, how do we connect the dots? Yeah, so it and that's and I think that it mainly has to do with the there are elements in so for instance like jobs like cybersecurity or like people who do prison work or something like that um, things that you know you're not going to have a need for prisons you're not going to have a need for securing you know the web or you know like police work and things like that but you will have a need for the kind of thinking that goes into those areas for the the kind of 
you know, thought work that goes into that kind of thing. And maybe God will have us doing things um, that involve outside of the heavenly kingdom that do have to do with like security or something like that. We don't really know that. That's kind of gets a little bit into the subjective, you know, thinking about what exactly the the whole heavenly kingdom and out into the future, you know, is, what, what has God created on other planets or things like that even. But that that's kind of outside the scope. But I think even if there isn't specifically like cybersecurity or police work for a police officer in the heavenly kingdom, you, that that thinking that you've developed, that ability to to reason, that ability to be able to interact with others, that ability to be able to um, really work towards with diligence, seeing things in society improved in that way, that all those motivations are very much worth having built up so that in the heavenly kingdom, they continue to be valuable. Okay, so the so the main thing is really the character, the skill, the ability, um, many things, uh, You de- this job help you to develop on earth. This will take um, be taken with you. Mm. And then if we can have a bold imagination, then maybe there are some kind of a, work outside of the in other planets or those things but those are just bold imagination mm-hmm. which is does not have the biblical uh, clear support yeah. like maybe it's true because the bible is not a book it's not a collection of books to um review all the secrets of of all the things yeah so something we don't know but that's useful mm-hmm. that's right so but if we can plan actually if, if when we choose a, a uh, career. If we can uh, think more long term, actually, we can um, find a job uh, which can go, be go uh, going on in a uh, in heaven. Mm. Like for example, if a, a musician as a job that can be go on, uh, a missionary you cannot go on mm. to do your job. Many jobs cannot go on, mm-hmm. right? So just to be fair, okay. Uh, so. Uh, let's let's just have a, a summary. Like, what are the top things you look forward to about this uh, future, about this resurrection? Mm, yeah, and I think these will hopefully kind of come out with what we've already said. But uh, number one would be a personal relationship with God. Um, there's not sin. No more sin separates us from God. Um, you know, before there was a firm separation before Christ, and even after we come to Christ. There's this continual kind of back and forth we do as we're growing that we kind of either avoid God or we kind of have this feeling of, of separation from him or can, this continual struggle with sin will be over. And per, so personally, we will be clo- even more, closer to God than we can imagine in this world. So that's one hope. And so another, as long as we're not completely Christ-like, then we don't have the perfect fellowship with God. We start, uh, we 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 start the relationship, personal relationship with God, uh, in the beginning of the salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are we're making progress. We, you know, we, we're not completely one with Him because uh, many sins hindered us. That's right. It's get better and better, but then on that day, it's the unthinkable closeness with mm, God. That's right. Yeah, it's completely close. Um, second is in community. You know, I, you think of I, what came to mind is, you know, there's a lot of secret things, secret motives. Um, and it's very hard. Like we actually had 
have had this struggle a few times and that we've actually talked about it and finding real authentic community where people really care for one another. In the heavenly kingdom, actually, this is going to, everyone will work for the other person's good. You know, and then it also goes into this idea of, again, work or talents. You know, what these will authentically be used for the good of others. There's not going to be these side motives. There's not going to be businesses that try to take advantage of people. You know, it's all going to be working towards the good of each other. And and that's like a, this wonderful thing that of all people having a common goal to really work for the good of the other person. And then um, thirdly, it's going to be in government. So I talked about personally with God, community with each other. And then in government, you know, God will be the head of the government and we will function as part of that good government. So we'll be all the things that like you see these Facebook posts or things, even ones that we make, you know, about the concerns about the government, whoever's in power, there's always concerns that we have and always ways that we want things to go the way we want people to really be cared for or this or that, and that we see that are not. But when God sits on the heavenly throne, when he comes to earth and he is the head of the government, then the government will be truly right. And not only will the government be truly right and we'll be think, oh, well, um, the government will look out for us finally, but then we'll also get to have a part in that. You know, part of the true, you know, what God created us to be is to rule with him. And so we'll be part of that kind of ruling in the heavenly kingdom and it will, the government will be like it, it should be. Mm-hmm. And so in the future, who will really enjoy this future kingdom? Who will really live in this kingdom with God? Yeah. And so um, the, you know, we've talked about those kind of verses and kind of judgment and things like that, but um, in our judgment episode, yeah, in our judgment episode. Um, so, uh, as in Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10, it says, And even when he reached the, the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner uh, living in tents. So did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations designed and built by God. Um, yeah, so Hebrews 11 is, you know, all a collection of the heroes of the faith who were looking forward to the city, to the kingdom that was designed by God. And they live by faith, it says. So, and the scriptures talk about this again and again. It's, it's those who live by faith. You know, it's those who, who live by faith in God, who, who live and trust in God in this world. You know, those are the people who will see, um, that next world or like in Romans 4 12 through 13 it says and Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised uh, is also the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised but only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law but on the right relationship with God that comes by faith so this we know that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins and to restore that relationship. When we receive what he did, that, that what he did is enough for our sins and what he did was the real punishment that our sins deserved. And we take on that, that gift that he's done for ourselves, that God has, has given for us, that his son died so that we didn't have to die. Then we put our faith in God, that we put our faith that he is true that he is trustworthy. We, we, we decide to trust him. 
at that moment. And though, and then we live by that faith. We continually to move towards God. We continually to move towards Him and and to live out a life that really trusts Him, that trusts Him to grow, that trusts Him to live in our job the way that He calls us to live in our job, to trust Him to live in our family the way He calls us to live in our family, no matter what the consequences are. You know, this life of that puts faith in God, that starts with faith in God through uh, what Jesus Christ has done, and therefore our sins are taken care of before judgment, and then living by faith in Him. Those who, who are have this kind of life of trust in God, that, that, that trust in God has been restored, that is the people that are going to be in that heavenly kingdom. Yeah, and think about in, uh, in Abraham's time, many people uh, at the same time as Abraham, they wouldn't enter or enjoy God's kingdom in the future um, because I think simply they don't look forward to it. Just like in each generation, like in our generation, um, uh, because when we know a little bit about Abraham's background, it's like he uh, he he kind of lived a like a middle class life, um, pretty comfortable, pretty okay. Maybe there was some, just like in our age, there were some. Uh, bad people in his city, but it's okay. Nobody really bullied their family or whatever, you know. Mm. But then he's the that kind of person that he has God's standard for things. For, for things, so he's he saw um, this world is wrong. This country is not holy. That country is also not righteous. Things are so wrong. And when God promised him that, hey. Uh, I'm going to make a kingdom without sin. Mm. He was so happy. He gave up other things, left it behind other things. And then he obeyed God and paid the big sacrifice, big cost of being living like a foreigner the rest of his life and didn't see it mm. realized in front of him. It's like, it's like it needs that kind of face how much you hate him, how much you agree with God's standard, you know? And so just think about like people living in our world, like uh, uh, how many people feel like, oh, it's not perfect, but it's okay. This is a very uh, dangerous mentality that we need to ask God to redeem us because we don't have that kind of faith. Mm. And then it talks about that Abraham is the spiritual father of those who have been circumcised. Uh, all of those people, like include us, if we have his the kind of face, then we are considered to be his descendants. Mm. So it means that the, the opposite is if we don't have that face, be uh, watch out, repent, mm. and think about it. Bad God <laughs> mm. to change me. Yeah, and yeah, it's uh, and this is something else we had talked about, and we go over whenever um, teach about Revelation chapter two and three. Is it actually a lack of the passion for God is really considered a sin? It's really like before God, it's like you 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 don't realize the reality. You you you're you're really. You are okay with sin. You're okay with the wrong way that the world is. You're you're okay with the suffering and violence and those mm -hmm. things. In a way, you're accepting it when you accept the way this world is. When you don't have that hope that is like firmly placed beyond this world. When but you God think, is disgusted. Yeah, that's about sin. Yeah, God is disgusted about sin. God hates sin, and so like we also have to take on that kind of hate for sin and that kind of view that. 
well, God can do it. God can make a world where these things are not present, where these things are done with. You know, that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that really lives the sort of life that God calls us to. That's the sort of faith that will be completely formed in those who live in the heavenly kingdom. You know, it's that faith in God who's the center of the world, the God who is the the king of the world that will really call will be like the fuel of this kingdom. And it's it's a fuel that we have to that part of being a mature Christian is really we grasp onto that. You know, coming into the relationship is we begin to grasp onto that, that God is faithful and he will take care of my sin. Mm-hmm. But then the continued is really God is faithful and he will lead me to be more and more like Christ. He will lead me to be part of this heavenly kingdom, and he will restore the world to be a great and wonderful kingdom that's really, really worth looking forward to. You know, this is the the faith that we're called to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I was a new believer, when I was 21 or 2, that my um, my Christian roommate had a water pitcher, has the word there, this world is not my home. And then for a while, uh, I was a new Christian, and for a while, I say like, you know, I actually really like uh, this world now. I don't have that. I know Christians are supposed to think in that way, but I don't have that thinking. And then, uh, what did she say? Um, it's like she, it's it's like she, she said like, you know, be careful if you like this world too much. If you know, if um, you really satisfy with it, then that's what you get. Mm. You don't need to go to God's kingdom. You don't look forward to it. Mm. That's right. Too. That's a good perspective. Um, so uh, several days ago when we had a walk together, uh, we we talked a little bit about what are the some differences between the millennial, between that 1,000 year that mm. Jesus and uh, um, his people come back to rule that time mm. and the, uh, compared to the new heaven and new earth. Mm-hmm. So millennial and new heaven and new earth. What what are some differences? Yeah, so and I'll speak on my own perspective about the 1,000 years in the millennium. I think that um, when Revelation describes the millennium, I think it, it seems like it's really talking about a 1,000 years when Jesus is physically here and, and ruling. I think that that is the the at least obvious or the, the t- interpretation that stands out. I know there's several different views on this. Um, you can watch other videos and things to learn about the other views and really explore the evidence for which one is right. But I'll talk about the millennium viewing it as a real 1,000 years where Jesus is ruling. And the difference there is that during those 1,000 years, it talks about how there will still be people, the the whole, basically God has not come yet and, and conquered over everything. He hasn't judged. Judgment hasn't happened yet is the main line. And so there, people can still do sin. People can still um, do evil. People still have the opportunity to actually turn away from God, even though Jesus is ruling. You know, Jesus is on the earth. He's physically available and he's ruling as a king. You know, his kingdom is someplace people can go to. But what we see from Revelation is even when Jesus's kingdom is a place people can go to, many people will resist. And in fact, people will try to start a war against him. And so that thousand years is going to not really, it's going to be a, a picture. And I think scripture does, God, not just scripture, but God has done this, does this again and again in history where he displays what he will do and also displays about our sin and, and, and tries to point it out to make it completely clear through reality, through something that, an event that is really happening. 
Um, an example of this is in Jeremiah's day and Isaiah, they predict you know, all the judgment on the nations at that time that came at that time. You know, but that was a, a looking to the future judgment that those nations were judged there. But it, it, you can see like it's referenced in Revelation and, and it, it also is continually kind of pointing forward that God one day will judge all people. You know, in the same way, this thousand years, it's kind of like that. It's showing this God's rule, what it's like in the world, but it's also showing the deep um, rooted against Godness in sin, that there will be many people, even every opportunity is allotted for people. Every opportunity is allotted for people to come into God's city, to live under God's rule, to really live where God is really restoring things. But many people resist. Many people will not want to live in Jesus' way. They'll want their own thing, regardless of whether or not it's better or worse than what Jesus is doing. They don't want God to be their ruler. And I think in those thousand years, that's what God intends for people to see. So that's kind of the, the difference there. Uh, now, as we um, as we come into the end, as we wrap up, um, so uh, how, how do you think today's discussion should influence our current lives? Mm, yeah, so um, I think that, that there are some different ways. I think the main way is that our hope should be rooted in the right things. You know, like we mentioned about like the three main hopes that, you know, this hope for God's coming and restoring the government, this hope for God's restoring communities and the hope for God restoring our relationship with him. Like that ought to really form our hope in this world. And then also what comes with that is that that includes us really pursuing God diligently in this world. Because really the kind of person we are developed, formed into is going to be very meaningful in that new kingdom. So we really ought to, you know, like Paul says, we ought to run after God. We ought to passionately run after God. We ought not to say, well, I have my kingdom ticket and I'm going to take it, you know, to heaven. That's not the picture. The the biblical picture is that we're on a race and we're running it and that there's a good reason to run it. And that it's very important that we keep running. The keep running it this is part of what it means to really be a follower of Jesus, is that Jesus didn't stop doing the work of his father until he died. You know, that and even now he's doing the work of his father and praying and interceding for us and working through us. In the same way, we're called to live our whole lives diligently working for God's kingdom. And so I think this the real picture of the kingdom, it ought to be where we firmly place our hope, and then we ought to live out our lives towards it. You know, we mentioned a few times the Lord's Prayer. You know, Jesus said, pray in this way. He said, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, this picture of really continually praying for the kingdom to come, for God's will to be done, and then living that way, that's how Christians are meant to live. We're meant to be salt and light because we're full of this hope and passion for this new kingdom. And we want to see it fulfilled. And we want to see things change so that God's rule would take place on this earth. So like to act and think like in every way to prepare yourself to fit, live in this kingdom, to fit, uh, rule with God. And it's an exciting thing. Yeah. So uh, isn't, isn't it this too deep? for a new Christian to understand? Like, why should this episode in a new Christian foundation series? Yeah, and I think it's completely not, because uh, one very interesting thing you'll see 
Um, it once if you, you're really getting into scripture, you reading Paul's letters, especially um, like we talked about Thessalonians, Philippians, we see um, Paul reference back and say, remember what I told you about God's God's judgment plan, about God's plan for the end. Like he doesn't say like, oh, well, let me write you this letter and tell you real quick about what the end will be like. He actually, he always references back and says, remember what I already told you. Like Paul, you, you can tell he went into like excruciating detail with each church he went to visit about what God is doing in the world, what the end will be like. That was part of his gospel. You know, Paul's gospel is, you know, it, it really makes our gospel seem very shallow because Paul included all of these foundational elements in his gospel. So I think that um, really what we need actually is for those who are coming to Christ to really receive this full kind of training when they come into relationship with Christ. Yeah, actually, as a discipler, um, the gospel I have been sharing uh, uh, changed throughout the year. So it's closer and closer to um, to past version. Uh, so like we, we study through many key books there, um, four gospels, Acts, Romans, Revelations, you know, to explain all those aspects um, in uh, appeared uh, in those scriptures mm. to help someone to have a full picture so that someone they uh, uh, someone really repented coming to this space that they have really feel full gear to pursue. Um, yeah, just some different um, resources. Uh, so uh, we think uh, I really like the book Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. So if a lot of these things seem new to you, that's a good book to either get the audio book or the whole book. And he goes over a lot of these topics about what is the Christian hope and scripture and then compared to like what a lot of times the modern day one is another one series that's good is David Pawson has a couple of talks on you know the Christian hope the Christian anchor on davidpawson.org so if you go to that website you can see um, those um, sermons and those are also really good I think for laying out like what is God's whole you know future plan and then how can we put our hope really in it I I find it um, really helpful to to listen to those and also listen to there's some on discipleship or, or sorry, discipleshiplibrary.com um, and just listening to those regularly, like even once a year, um, listening, reading through the scriptures and renewing our minds to what is the real Christian hope and how can we be motivated to, to run after it? Yeah, so the full name of the book by N.T. Wright is Surprised by Hope, Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. Mm, good. Okay, thank you for your support. And if you like our channel, please click subscribe and uh, you can leave any comments and we can have conversations.